0: All right, we come to this passage, and you guys know where we are, right? Uh, There has been a healing that came from the third chapter. A man who had been lame his entire life. Forty years he had laid in the temple. Uh, Or at least he was over 40 years old, and the people who knew him went to the temple every day, and when they saw him standing up, walking and leaping and praising God, as luke writes in acts 2 they said we know that guy and i don't know if you come to this passage and and you say why in the world would these guys be so frustrated and angered uh, in response to such a good deed maybe you read this and you're like why why in the world are they so frustrated and i have a simple question to ask you what do you do when your authority and your kingdom is threatened Because that's what's going on here make no misunderstanding about this this passage is threatening to its core and I want to ask you that question all of you what do you do when your authority and your kingdom that you live for is threatened you won't be surprised that my illustration with this has to do with my driving and cars Mita and I actually went on a date on Friday night I know stand back Be amazed we went on a date and as I was going across JFK bridge down by Harvard I got cut off and I was lit and Mita was like what is your problem and I thought man if I just had the cruiser it's a bigger car than this minivan and Mita was like what would you do and I was like I want to hit him in the bumper and she was like oh that would be a smart thing to do especially in the car that you love And I was like, yes, but he cut me off. He he didn't do what he was supposed to do. And and immediately I discovered I have this idea of my own kingdom. And oftentimes in America, that exists within our car. You don't believe me? Look how many of you drive with no one else in your car. It's your kingdom, isn't it? Got the radio the way you like it, the temperature the way you like it, your cups fit exactly where they're supposed to, right? It's your kingdom. What do you do when your kingdom is threatened? Because that's actually what's going on here. And I want you to see this. This is glorious. Because if we can see this, we can begin to understand what's offered in the person of Christ. What do you do when your kingdom, your authority is threatened? I want you to know something. And I want to tell you this because I love you. Jesus has come to threaten your kingdom. He has come to usurp your authority. And it's all right here in this passage. Look at it with me, if you will. We're on page, what did, what did she say, 9-11 of those blue pew Bibles. So uh, turn there with me, if you will. You know that Peter and John were explaining this amazing miracle, the lame man who was walking. And they were saying, look, this is done by Jesus, the power of Christ. He's the risen and he's the reigning Messiah. And because of him, death has been crushed and the grand reversal has begun restoration of all things. That's what they tell him. And that's why they say this guy is who he is. He's walking. He's completely made right. And all of us kind of say, man, I would love to see that. And some of us even arrogantly say, if I saw that, if I saw you, Bradley, heal somebody today like that, then I would believe and I wouldn't have any more problems in my heart. And I would go, oh, Really? Really, is that what you think? Because here, John and Peter are speaking, and we read in the very first few verses that the Sadducees, along with the elders and the rulers of the people, who the Sanhedrin, these 71, you know, the population of the, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, right? That they come, and they actually arrested them. They're greatly annoyed that they're preaching about Jesus and about their resurrection. And right away you begin to think maybe this movement of God's kingdom, this hope of Jesus having been raised from the dead and exalted to the right hand of the Father, maybe maybe it's going to die before it even gets started. And right there in verses 1 through 4, you kind of hold your breath because the kingdom is being threatened, isn't it? And what do you see in verses 5 through 12? what I think you see is the unfolding of what Luke wants us to see as he writes this section, that the question of authority is on the line. The question that I asked you before, what do you do when your authority and your kingdom is threatened? Look at what happens here in verse 5. And on the next day, their rulers and elders and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem with Annas the high priest and Caiaphas and John and Alexander and all who were of the high priestly family. This is everybody. This is likely over 100 people strong that have gathered together and they've drug in Peter and John and they are going to ask them by whose authority they do this. What does that make you think of? You know that Peter's only been to one of these councils before and it happened about two months prior. Do you remember where it was? You remember it was in the high priest's courthouse and in his courtyard? Do you remember what Peter did at that place at that time? Do you remember how he sat around the fire and this little servant girl looked at him and she goes, I know you. And he goes, no, you don't. And someone else says, oh, I do know you. You were Jesus. He goes, no, I wasn't. And a third time someone says, I know that you are with Jesus. And he cursed. And he said, I don't even know him. And now we have Peter and John before this council again. And if your mind is like my mind, your mind runs to that day and you go, how's he going to handle it today? How's he going to answer it? And they stand before him and they bring him into their presence And right there in verse 7, they say, by what power and by what name did you do this? And we, with bated breath, wonder, is he going to make it? Is he going to answer the right way? And I want you to know that's not what Peter thinks about. It's not what he thinks about at all. He thinks about when Jesus was asked the same question because he was there. Now, I'll give you a second to figure out where Luke 20 is. It's a few pages back, and you can flip to it, but we're going to talk about it in just a minute. But listen to what happens with Peter here. As Peter begins, he speaks as one who is filled with the Holy Spirit. And Peter says this. He says, now look, if you're asking me about how this crippled man has been made well, If that's what you're talking about, about a good deed that was done to a lame man, let it be known to you and all the people of Israel that this good deed was done by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified and whom God raised from the dead. That's what he says. He goes, that's your question. You asked me by what authority? But he didn't stop there. Because Peter's point was not to defend his action, but to proclaim who Jesus was. And listen to what he did then. Look at it with me in verse 10, if you will. He said, or excuse me, verse 11. He said, This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Peter has stood up in front of them and without any doubt challenged their entire authority as the rulers and the leaders of God's people. And you go, man, whatever gave him the idea to do that? Luke fills this whole section with clues that we would go back. And the clue that probably stands out the most is the question, by whose authority do you do this? And if you have been going to the men's and women's Bible studies, if you've been reading the Gospel of Luke, you will go, wait a minute, that question was asked before. Where was it asked? And it it was asked in Luke 20. Listen to this, Luke 20 verse one, one day, As Jesus was teaching the people in the temple, sound familiar? What were Peter and John doing? Teaching the people in the temple and preaching the gospel. The chief priests and the scribes and the elders, same group of people, right? They came up to him and said to him, tell us by what authority you're doing this. The same thing. And do you remember what Jesus did? It's kind of amazing. Jesus said, I'm not going to tell you my authority, but you ask a question first. Whose authority did John speak on? Was it his own authority or the authority from heaven, John the Baptist? And Jesus knew that these folks, the scribes and the Pharisees and the elders, hated John the Baptist, and they were not going to say that John the Baptist spoke on the authority of heaven. Because if they did, then Jesus would be able to say, then why don't you listen to him? He's the one that told you who I was and you didn't listen to him. But they said, if we say it wasn't from heaven, then the people are going to stone us. So they said, we don't know. And Jesus actually says, well, I'm not going to tell you by whose authority I speak either. He goes, instead I'm going to tell you a parable. And if you go to Luke 20, you can read this. It's awesome. There's this parable that is about a vineyard and about the people who lease out the vineyard. And he tells this story about a vineyard. And you're like, I I wonder why he went there. And I'm going to tell you why he went there. Because Isaiah the prophet writes in the fifth chapter of Isaiah that God says this people is like my vineyard. And they have been ruled by people who have taken them away from me. And God says, I send my servants to them, and they kill my servants, and so what am I going to do? And you want to know how Jesus changes the parable that comes out of Isaiah 5? He reads it like this to them. He says in the very end, well, what will they do when he sends his son? Because again, the owner of the vineyard says this. He says that I will send my beloved son, perhaps they'll respect him. But when the tenants saw his beloved son, they said to themselves, This is the heir. Let's kill him so that the inheritance may be ours. And they threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. Then what will the owner of the vineyard do to them? Jesus asks these same scribes and Pharisees. He says he will come and destroy those tenants and give the vineyard to others. And you want to know what the chief priests and the scribes and the Pharisees said then? They listened to Jesus and they said, surely not. (laughs) That's not going to happen. That's not going to happen. We're in charge. And he said that he looked directly at them and he said, what then is it that is written? The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. Now hang with me. If you flip back there to Acts, And you remember what Peter just said to those guys. What did he say to them? He said, this Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, he said to the scribes and to the Pharisees and to the chief priests and the leaders of God's people, the leaders of his people. You rejected him, he said. All of this is from Psalm 118. Where David writes as he enters in the temple, the stone that the builders have rejected has become the cornerstone and it is marvelous in our eyes. God has become our salvation is what that Psalm 118 says. And you should go back and read it. It's amazing. And Peter, remembering that story of when they asked Jesus about what authority he spoke in, he went straight back there And he said, you know that you asked Jesus the same question. And I'm telling you, you are the builders who rejected him. And the one whom you rejected, God has raised from the dead and has made him the cornerstone. The cornerstone of a building, that stone that is set first from which every other stone is set. Technically what that word means, but it was also used for the leader of God's people. The great one whom they would follow. Jesus is that cornerstone. Psalm 118 says that the Lord has become our salvation. And so Peter says, like Jesus, there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which they must be saved. Jesus told them, look, this cornerstone Everyone who falls on that stone will be broken to pieces. And when it falls on anyone, it will crush them. Jesus takes more Old Testament references from Isaiah and from Daniel, and he tells them that that's what's happening. Peter picks up on it when he is threatened, and he says, I want you to know something. That in the resurrection of Jesus, All of your authority as the leaders of God's people has been usurped and it has been given to this Jesus. He holds all authority. He's the cornerstone. And there's no other name under heaven by which anyone should be saved. You see how threatening this is. We see the response of them next. And again, the question that I asked you is, what do you do when your authority and your kingdom is threatened? Because I want you to know, because God loves you so much, he has sent Jesus to threaten your kingdom, to usurp your authority, to remind you that there is one king, one And you are not he. So the question that stands before us is, what do we do when we're threatened? What do we do? Verse 19 and follows shows you what these guys did. It's amazing. Look at it. You know, verse 13. We'll start there. How do they respond? The rulers of the people and the elders were amazed at their boldness, right? They noted that Peter acted boldly. Do you see that in, in, in verse 13? And they perceived that even though there was boldness, that they were uneducated, that they were common men, that they were outsiders, that they didn't belong. I think as a southerner, you've got to love this passage, right? You've got to love the accent. Because again, Peter would have had a Galilean accent. And they would have known, you don't belong here. You're not educated. You're not the one that should be telling us these things. And they heard him and they were astonished and they said well and then they sent them out They're like we don't know what to do with you they sent them out and can you imagine Peter and John in the hall have you ever gotten in trouble at school and you have to go in the hall with your friend and you look at your friend and you go no, no, now look what you got us into now we're standing out here in the hall what's gonna happen and essentially that's what happens here Peter and John get sent out of the council they go you out we will bring you back in in a minute And the question is, what are they going to do now that their authority has been threatened? That Peter has proclaimed, your authority has been usurped. It's been taken away. And this is what happens. They recognize that these guys, Peter and James, had been with Jesus. And then it says in 14, but seeing the man who was healed standing beside them, they had nothing to say in opposition. They couldn't say that the sign hadn't happened. But when they had commanded them to leave the council, they conferred with one another. And look at verse 16. What shall we do with these men? For that a notable sign has been performed through them is evident to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem. And we can't deny it. It happened. We can't deny it. But I got a better idea. Let's ignore it. After all, who did it? But Peter and John, and who are they? They're uneducated. They don't belong with us. They're on the outside. They were part of that Jesus who we killed. But in order that it may not spread further among the people, let us warn them to speak no more to anyone in his name. So in verse 18, they called him in and charged them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. This is amazing, isn't it? These. Pharisees these Sadducees these rulers of God's people they look to them and they threaten them they say if you continue to do this we could have you killed you know what's really interesting is that this whole idea of the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone is in another place in Isaiah you got to go look at these things up. If you want all of them, see me afterwards. But in Isaiah 28, you read it again. And you know what it says in Isaiah 28? It says that the leaders of God's people had made a pact with death. And because of that, God was going to act in a radical and in an unusual way. He was going to set a cornerstone, a precious stone, a tried stone, a trusted stone. And that any who believed in him would not hasten, would not flee, right? And here we see these rulers of God's people choosing to use the threat of death against Peter and John. We killed Jesus, and we can kill you too. Stop talking about him. And you wonder again, what is Peter going to do? And your mind bounces back and forth. What do I do when I'm threatened? What do I do when my kingdom is threatened? What is Peter going to do now that he's been threatened? They bring him back in. And that passage says those who believe And God's cornerstone in Isaiah 28 will not flee. And what does Peter do? He calls him back in and in verse 19, but Peter and John answered them, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge for we cannot but speak of what we have seen and what we have heard. The magnitude of this moment causes your jaw to drop because Peter, the one that before fled at the accusation of a little girl, now stands before all the leaders of Israel and says, we can't stop speaking about what we know to be true and we won't stop speaking about it. This is amazing. He says, look, You are set over us as judge, but you are not our authority. We answer to another authority. And that authority is the risen and the reigning Christ. And he has usurped your authority. God has taken it from you and given it to another. Christ Then they go and they meet their friends. Imagine what that was like. Your friends are like, wait, you're here? You were arrested? You stood before the Sanhedrin? Those are the guys that killed Jesus and you're back here? What did you say? And John goes, you're not gonna believe what Peter said. Peter said that they were the builders who rejected the cornerstone and that there's no other name under heaven by which they should be saved. And they looked at Peter and they said, what? You said what? And then it says that they turned and that they began to pray. And the very first word of their prayer is written right there in verse 24. Sovereign Lord. That word is sovereign master to whom we belong as your servants. They turned to God and they recognized his sovereignty. That's what they did when they were threatened. They stood up and they said, no, we have one authority, Jesus Christ, risen and reigning at the right hand of God. And they looked and they used this verse out of Psalm 2. This verse that says, why did the Gentiles rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed, which means against his Christ. And then they, in the next few verses, go, oh, we know who the Gentiles are. We we know who the king was. We, We know who the rulers of the people are and we know the people. This is what's unfolded in the life of Christ. And they say, everything that your hand, God, determined it would happen, has happened. They said, you are sovereign. And so when they threaten your kingdom and they threaten us, you're in charge. And they simply said, will you see their threats? Will you make us bold? And will you continue to pour out your healing power? as your kingdom advances. What do you do when your authority and your kingdom is challenged? Because make no doubt, you guys are not the leaders of Israel. But each of us has our hearts that say, I may not be the leader of a great people, but I at least lead my life and I'm in charge. What do you do at that threat? The threat that is actually an invitation that says, come and entrust yourself to the risen and the reigning Christ. Because Jesus is the authority and the source of a new way of living that is based on life and restoration, not death and fear. But here's the thing. Immediately when you hear this, if not outside of you, inside of you, you hear a voice that says, oh, no, 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 you better get back in line. Get back in line. You know that death is right there. You live your kingdom now because this is the only kingdom you've got. Don't listen to that. Get back in line. Ignore that sign of the resurrected Jesus and think to yourself, that's not really what it's about. And maybe that's what you hear outside of you constantly as your friends who find out that you have put your faith and trust in Christ, go, you've got to be kidding me that that's what you live your life for. And you go, no, it's not. Or maybe you sense this death and you're paralyzed. And you think to yourself, everything dies. It just dies. This whole idea that everyone we know goes away in the end. That the life that we live is just an empire of dirt. Do you feel the weight of even the invitation that says, put your trust in a risen and reigning Savior who is the source of life and restoration? And I look at you and I say, wouldn't you want to be healed? Wouldn't you want that? You ought to want to be healed. I saw Leave No Trace. Did you see this movie? I won't tell you about the whole thing, but I am going to tell you about what, in my opinion, is the best line of the movie. At one point, the daughter looks at the father, and she looks at him, who has suffered post-traumatic stress disorder from the war. She looks at him, and she goes, what's wrong with you isn't what's wrong with me. And suddenly, the movie just goes, but I want you to hear something. What is wrong with you is what's wrong with me. We are convinced that we are our own kings. And if you've never bowed your knee to Christ, this passage exalts him as the risen and the reigning Christ. And the invitation is to you. Will you bow your knee before him? What about if you're already a Christian? What do you do with this passage? Do you just stand beside it and go, yeah, <laughs> yeah? Well, partly yes. Partly I want you to be excited again and say, look, this sign of this leper being cleansed, I mean, this lame guy being Healed and brought to life is something we ought to get excited about. But you know something? I want you to know that a a larger miracle happened there. In the healing of this man, 4,000, 5,000 people were converted, taken from saying, I'm the king of my own life to know Jesus is the king of my life. And that is unbelievable that the Holy Spirit's work was to cleanse them. What do you do as a believer after you celebrate? Where do we get that boldness? Boldness to proclaim. How about prayer that's associated around a sovereign God who has everything in his hands? Have you been here so long, struggling so hard, that now you just feel muted? that you go, you know, I just don't know anymore. I see so little change in my own life and the lives around me, just muted. What is the hope for you, Christian? Pray to a God who is sovereign that even in the death of His Son, everything unfolded as He commanded it to unfold. And then... Like these apostles, could we pray like they prayed at the very end of their prayer? And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant your servants to continue to speak your word with boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are proclaimed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. We ought to desire to live our life of mercy. Because it is a greater miracle than a lame man who will walk for a few more years than he dies, than for God to change the hearts of self-centered people and erect his King, Jesus Christ in that heart. That's more amazing. A life of selfless sacrifice is more amazing we learned a phrase while we've been here the question of whether or not something moves the meter or not in your life you know whether you spend with money with resources with time and you kind of go if I spend this does it move the meter maybe in some of your households spending 20 bucks moves the meter and you are like gotta be careful 100 bucks moves the meter you know what I'm saying the idea of the meter moving right But if Jesus is the source of a new way of life that is based on life and restoration, eternal life, I can look at you, Christian, and go, nothing moves your meter. (laughs) No amount of sacrifice moves your meter because you have eternal life. Don't live according to death. Live according to life. An indestructible life. The life of Jesus. Listen to how Peter talks about it when he writes, as I close, just by reading this to you. In 1 Peter 2, he says, And you come to him, Jesus, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious. You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in scripture, behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe, the stone that the builder rejected has become the cornerstone, a stone of stumbling and a stone of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they are destined to. But you, Christians, are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were, a pe- you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Let's pray.